Thanks, Brent. I was trying to think of sponges and I was thinking of... Is it Spongebob? Spongebob? A picture of the whole congregation full of Spongebobs. If you don't know what Spongebob is, maybe Google it when you get home. Find out he's a cartoon character. Would you like to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? And there are Bibles in the seats. Um, if you'd like to grab one, we also kind of vetted them or re kind of plenished them. And uh, if you're using, they're all the same Bible. If you get there, somebody call out the page number of First Corinthians 11 so that the rest of us can find it. One one three five. One one three five. So if you're using the Bibles in the pew, one one three five will get you to. Thanks, Brendan. Uh, some of the materials, uh, these, chapter 11 is one of the, the challenging chapters um, in scripture. I've got the pen because I want to make a note. Um, comes a bit contentious, a bit difficult to interpret and we want to do that as well as we can under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've done this in other times. I've sometimes asked people, you know, and, and I checked in with Brendan and, and uh, um, Robin. <laughs> Love the way that happens. And, and they kindly lent me some Bible study fellowship notes on these particular chapters. So it's kind of helped inform my research and exegesis just to see... Um, and, and I do I have found found the Bible study fellowship materials over the years excellent really you know kind of quite well positioned in, uh, in, in so many ways excuse me so let's Let's get, get into it because the proprietary propriety in worship, chapter 11. So we're picking up our, our, our series on 1 Corinthians and it is a real fly through. So let, let me say at the outset, I'm, I'm not going to touch on the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of good teaching in that passage, the second half of the chapter. Um, and we, we have very good teaching on this every week every time we approach the communion and, and it's interesting in my preparation of that passage um, there were so many things echoed this morning in our lead up to it it was quite, quite interesting the idea of the remembrance um, feast uh, the, and, and then Graham, that was Rob and then Graham mentioned um, lest we forget which was in my thinking too uh, uh, that has a very powerful uh, connotation to us Anzacs, Aussies and New Zealanders, uh, the, the phrase, lest we forget. So let's, let's focus on proprietary, propriety in worship and we're reading from verse 2 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. This, this is the first letter that Paul has written to the Corinthian church which he planted and he starts off by saying from verse 2, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings 
just as I pass them on to you. So that's, that's a pretty good start really, isn't it, in this particular passage. Uh, he is responding to questions in this part that they'd asked him. There were concerns about some things. Verse 3, Now I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonours her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. Wacko. Don't you love it? You know, I didn't, I didn't quite get that these passages we're in 1 Corinthians when I decided it would be nice for us to do 1 Corinthians. <laughs> uh, sometimes you say, oh Lord, oh, okay, can't we duck around this somehow or <laughs> whatever. Um, but all of scripture is useful, isn't it? And, and we've got to be able to grapple with some of these things and you can see just by the, the reading of it, wow, that's pretty, what, what are we to do with those kinds of verses? And, and it's this sort of stuff that, that gives rise to much chagrin, uh, concern, uh, even anger within the people of the world when it comes to church matters, particularly in this day and age when so much of what perhaps we would like to declare as the people of God is not considered politically correct at the very least. And our heart is, isn't it, to, to be full of grace and, and mercy and, and uh, forbearance. Uh, the heart of the people of God is to, to, to love and to welcome and to forgive and to uh, exhort each other and encourage each other and uphold each other. So it can get really, really tough when we come into passages like this which may be suggesting that we actually, there's a chain of command um, that requires um, that, that women are somehow subordinate because there's a lot of women in our church. You, you know, and, so, oh, and, and in declaring the gospel to the world, sometimes we're forced in, in a sense to keep our, in keeping faith with our faith to stand against the tide and say, well, look, please consider, uh, we don't actually see that, you, you know, while we, we love everybody and we accept everybody has a right to an opinion and a view and an understanding and an attitude, we actually don't agree with it or I personally don't agree with that position. And so sometimes we feel like we're against the tide, a voice crying in the wilderness because the world rushes on with its particular views and, and its determinations to go in a certain direction and sometimes it's the people of God being salt and light in the earth, uh, on the earth that need to kind of dig their heels in and they get dragged along with the current of public opinion and direction trying to figure out, well, do we kind of just not kind of dig our heels in on this one and just go with it or, or is there something that we need to be able to say to our people? 
outside the church and inside the body of Christ. In this day, it was customary for women to be veiled as an expression of modesty and restraint and I'll try to stick to my notes. Uh, if I walk away from the platform, do what Bev does and get this kind of aghast look on, on her face. Bev is in Sydney this week with her studies and is very much missing being here. To not wear a veil in Corinth marked a woman as a prostitute or at least someone who had rebelled against the cultural norms of morality and submission. Christian women, quite rightly in a sense, were saying in this day in in the Corinthian church, well, I'm no longer under law because I am in Christ. With the result that there was disorder in the the norm of the the normal worship and there were conflict between husband and wife and, and being unveiled meant disgrace for a husband and if you're a single woman and you're unveiled then it meant disgrace for your father. Corinthians had asked Paul for guidance. The, the classic, if you like, we mentioned it before, how then should we now live? We have this wonderful faith, we have encountered the living Christ We have submitted our wills to him. We have sought forgiveness of God uh, for our sins and and we have uh, come under his authority. We have invited Christ through his Holy Spirit into our lives and he takes up residence in our lives and in our hearts and we experience new life of Christ, newness of life, a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose, a sense of reason about who we are and why we are and where we are and, and we come at it with this new freedom and this new sense of, of dignity that we have as an individual and, and quite rightly these, these young Christian women in the sense that they were young in the faith were saying well you know what is it to be in Christ why do we have to continue with some of these kind of customs And verse 2, as I said, began with an affirmation. You know, Paul was happy with the church at Corinth on so many things. I want you to realise, you know, I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Don't forget that Paul, uh, while he was trained rabbinically under um, Gamaliel, somebody mentioned, yes, he was one of the main, if not the foremost rabbi of the day. Paul made it quite clear in his journey through the plantings of the churches and through Acts and all of those early years of the foundation of the church that the revelation that he received that he was passing on had come directly from Christ. And there's some some sense in which some believe that he spent maybe even 10 or even more years um, in Christ, in the presence of Christ before public ministry actually began as a Christian. You know, in the early days he was the enemy of the people of God. Um, verse 3 to 6 head I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God and Paul is speaking here of God's pre-existing order in relationships these are pretty cool pretty critical relationships aren't they I mean the relationship between God the Father and God the Son the relationship between Christ and 
and his church or Christ and men even. Uh, Christ and humans. That's a fairly significant relationship. The relationship between men and women or to narrow it down even more between husband and wife. These are pretty critical, important kinds of relationships and and so he starts by clarifying the nature of three critical relationships. And, and most scholars today agree that this is not a hierarchy that Paul or even God is instituting here as in head of state. You know, rather, uh, the, the notion of a president as head of state was unknown in the first century It was an unknown concept. There was Caesar, of course, who was God um, to the Roman world. But the head of state, this was an unknown concept in the first century and and biblical understanding and first century understanding of the word head is is better aligned with the idea of source. Not tomato sauce, but the source of a river, you know, the head of the river. Um, that, That God is the source of man. Christ as creator is the source of humanity. Um, Eve was created out of Adam. So uh, effectively, Adam is the source of Eve. God as father, and this is stretching us a bit, isn't it? God as father, in a sense, is the source of God the son, father and son. So how does that line up? You know, But we, we believe that that the Godhead is three in one and they are co-equal. And uh, so that you can see how some of these, these challenging kind of statements are. In Genesis chapter 2, Adam is pictured as the source of Eve, as Christ as creator of the source of humanity or Adam and God as father, the source of the son. Men and women are different. I know I'm stating the obvious. And, and let's and in applying a little bit of reason in the midst, I guess, if surely if women are equal with men in Christ, why must they continue to wear a veil? Fair question. Perhaps some overreaction um, there was in the midst by some women who who were seeking to become more like men. Their their way of dealing with this newfound freedom uh, was to cast off their distinctiveness as women, and and. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a funny idea, isn't it? Why would you guys want to become like, like men? It's like, you, you know. Social custom was that a woman was uncovered, with uncovered hair uh, disgraced her father or her husband. Their participation within worship was as women. That was what Paul was saying. That they prophesied and that they prayed in worship was, an underst- was, was a given. Paul was not having problems with that. It was the manner in which they may have been participating. I don't know whether any of you older ones remember an old Peter Marshall movie. Um, I remember an old Peter Marshall movie. Peter Marshall, I think he was Scottish, wasn't he? He was one of those great preachers back in the day and they made a movie about him, a very famous man, uh, a wonderful preacher and Catherine Marshall, his wife, he died relatively early. She went on uh, quite powerfully in her own right as an author and as a speaker. However, I can still remember as a kid seeing this movie when he was talking to the... To, he was on the back of a truck in an open-air thing and he's preaching to some young people 
Um, they must have been young because the girls were wearing bobby socks and big boofy dresses and the guys had these kind of greaseback Elvis hairdos. And um, so it was said about the 50s. But um, he, he challenged the young women. He said, why would you want to be like men? You know, why would you want to be like us? And, and, and you, you know, we can smoke because smoking was a thing back then, you, you know. It, it was a sign of maturity and, and a fashionable thing to do and some of the women folk were starting to take up smoking which kind of, back in the older days, had been you know, largely in the, the domain of men. And um, let me just get this a bit closer. And it's a fair point, isn't it? Why, why would you want to lose a, a, fe- a feminine presence or perspective within the body of Christ? Why were we created distinctly different if the intention of God was to bring us into kind of a, a, a equality that meant that we all looked the same or dressed the same or acted beha- the same or behaved the same? Now, we're in a day where there's push to make things gender neutral, you know. Uh, we're in a day when we, we don't want to draw too much distinction between the genders, between the sexes. So, here is a situation where these guys are grappling with this. So, for me, it comes to the deference difference. I kind of, the girls and I who were serving, we were talking about alliteration last night and how many letters or words and sentences we could start using the same letter. um, But this this came to me, the deference difference. You know, I defer to my colleague. I defer to my wife on one or two matters. Um, I defer to my senior partner. Uh, Paul Yongi Cho, before he was David Yongi Cho, wrote a book, The Holy Spirit, My Senior Partner, um, back in the day. I wonder about the deference. I wonder when it comes down to, to headship. It's not, if we are in equal standing before God, is in, and there's not a difference in nature or essence, but rather in position and function. And there are times if uh, I sometimes say there's not two steering wheels on the car. You can't functionally have two steering wheels on the car. So it's kind of naive in a sense to think that I can be married, uh, a man and a woman can be married together with total absolute equality in everything in life. At some point, it's, you've got to be able to defer to one or the other to make a decision. John 5.19 in the Amplified says, So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, the Son is able to do nothing of himself of his own accord. This is Jesus himself speaking. The Son, don't forget, we're in this whole thing where he's, he's talking about God, Jesus, Jesus, man, man, woman, and he says, <laughs> I can't, even Jesus can't do anything, anything of his own accord. Why did Jesus live a sinless life? Because he was the only man that ever lived 
that perfectly was in tune with the Holy Spirit. He was perfectly in tune with the will of God. He was perfect in every way. Sin, the root of sin, is rebellion. Not once did he move away from his father's perfect will. That's what made him sinless. He never rebelled once. And, and here in John 5, so Jesus himself answered them by saying, I assure you most solemnly, I tell you, the son is able to do nothing of himself of his own accord, but he is able to do only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does is what the son does in the same way in his turn. If head means, if being head means that women are subordinated, then that would also mean that Christ should be subordinated to his father. It cannot be claimed that women are somehow inferior to men in the same way it could never be said that Christ is somehow inferior to the father. There can be no discrimination in a biblical understanding of headship. There's genius in this. If we can get the the headship clauses right and the submission clauses right in scripture, there is genius in this for how we build healthy, strong, alive lives and how we see the kingdom of God extended powerfully in our day. You know, it would be grossly unfair and yet some men down through the centuries have, <laughs> have ex- expressed quite uh, a huge block. Jesus said, you know, you worry about the speck in somebody else's eye and you miss the plank in your own. A man should not expect to carry God's blessing as head of his wife if that man refuses to recognise and submit to Christ as head over him. Can you see the safety in that? You know, can you see what the Lord, if the Lord is asking two equals and he says, okay, she defers to he in married life um, in the same way that he defers to his Lord. Christ. Absolute safety. No woman need ever experience abuse. No woman need ever experience her life being shut down because she has been ruled and controlled by her man. How, how can he rule and control her when he should be liberating her and energising her and helping her to fly? <laughs> because that's what the Lord has entrusted him to do. Read Ephesians 5 again and read it really carefully and see the double the amount of verses about the man being like Christ compared to the woman being like the church. It's so powerful and so life-giving to get that right and it's so wonderful to see how both he and she can thrive when we get this understanding quite right. Now, can I share a little story with you Um, and how Bev and I figured this out once in our early marriage. We'd been married, I guess we were kicking into our 30s and I felt like I'd been in in the media and music business for, say, 15 years no, be younger than that, 12 years or so and I felt like I needed to, you know, there was everything I had achieved in my career had kind of been done in Brisbane. I needed, you know, a new, uh, a new horizons. Now in an industry magazine, um, AAV or Armstrong's Audio Video, AAV Australia, which was the biggest recording facility in the country um, and one of the most successful and prominent you know, it was probably the only place that had pulled me out of Brisbane. 
they had an ad in, in one of the industry magazines, we're looking for Australia's best voiceover recording engineer producer. Yada, 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 yada. So I rang him up and I said, I hear you're looking for me. <laughs> As you do. <laughs> and, and look, I, I was so excited about this possibility. Uh, and, and they flew me down. First time in Melbourne, um, I was kind of... Uh, interestingly, the guy that was hiring me, he asked me about my Christian faith. He said, is that going to get in the way? Which was interesting. I, I don't know. I guess they kind of find out some things. But it's interesting how the way we live our lives may be observed and we don't observe how we're being observed. Uh, and we talked about that. Um, in the end, Ernie, who was the, the top kahuna... Uh, offered me a position, you know, we're to and fro visiting, looked all fantastic, I'm quite excited, go back to Brizzy, you know, and he offers me a job. And uh, the position, and Bev, in the meantime, is distraught. And I had neglected to kind of bring her along in this journey. You know, I just rushed off and wanting to kick career goals and all of that kind of thing. Bev's thinking about leaving her, her mother who had separated from, her, her mum and dad had separated after 30 years of marriage. It was fairly early. Uh, we were due as no, were we due our second baby? No, we had two kids. Um, and, but mum wasn't in a good place. You know, the whole cotton family reasons why we shouldn't be thinking about leaving the city and the state, those kinds of things. And we were talking about it. I'm going, this is, this is not right. You know, this is no good. You know, I rang Ernie up and I said, man, look, it's not going to happen. Um, it's just not the right time. Maybe sometime in the future the, t- the timing will be right, you know. So there was a period of time. We were coming into Christmas. Bev and I, in the process of sorting this out, were able to talk, to, talk through a whole lot of things and come to kind of a level of understanding and, and so we were able to get back both on the same page about our journey of faith and life and family life and, and the future and all of those kinds of things and, and that was really positive. So I was quite at peace about all of that. And then I remember we were just into the new year and I had this dream, I had this very alive dream as you do in the early hours of the morning. Uh, I, was, I was at AAV in the studio in Melbourne and, and, you know, just working, doing sessions and, and stuff like that. That was this dream. And I was woken up by the phone ringing early in the morning. It woke me out of this dream, so I remembered the dream. And I said, hi, Ernie, uh, on the phone. And this voice came, STD tones, you know. He said, how do you know it was me? And I, I said, I don't know. He said, you said a month ago, you know, the timing wasn't right. Is the timing right now? <laughs> and, you know, we were actually all ready to go. We were in a totally different place to where we were a month earlier. And it was just such a fine thing. You know, it wasn't me just kind of stamping down saying, listen, I'm the boss, this is what we're going to do and I need this for my career and we're going to go on and it's going to be good for the family and yada, yada, yada. I, you know, as we worked it through, I, I, I needed to de- defer to Bev and, in her journey and then she was actually able in a place to defer to me and we were, on a, we were able to go. It was just a fine thing. It, it, are you getting that, that thing? It, it, it was out of a... The Bible talks about, um, I think it's a tags at the end of Ephesians 5 into 6, be mutually submitted to each other. 
How do we work that one out? How do you figure that? Well, that's how it worked in that particular, in particular case. Um, can I confess to you a sin that I committed this morning? I vacuumed. <laughs> I vacuumed the church house. That, I mean, it's a pretty big sin on Sunday morning, isn't it? Now, I, I say that to you because I know my, my darling would be a bit concerned about how dusty and fluffy, I think it's the railway line, but the house gets dusty pretty quickly and, um, and it hadn't been able to be done for a couple of weeks and yeah, I do the, do the vacuuming, it's not a problem except usually on a Saturday I've got my stuff and she's got her stuff, you know, and she hadn't been able to do this and so I'm kind of needing to get over here so I can be in the Lord for a time, you know, and just kind of feel on the word and that sort of thing I'm going I'm going to whiz over this with the vacuum cleaner so I I woke the kids up you know vacuuming going right through the whole house picking up the fluff and stuff like that because we like to feel our toddlers come into a welcoming environment and the folks that come to pray come into a welcoming environment and and I just know that Bev feels much happier if the place at least looks half clean I, I admire the fact that she likes a clean house. Um, should, I, should I have stayed you know, quite spiritual in that moment? I said, oh, no, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to the church and Brian. I'm going to pray and, and um, Bev will understand. Well, yes, yeah, she would. She would understand that I would have a different priority to her. But it was a very small way that I could defer to her. And, and I felt better about knowing that I was leaving a house relatively clean and ready uh, for today. Just a small thing. But it's, it's a way that we can honour each other. Let's, let's keep pushing through this. Verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Whoa. Gee, getting into strife here. Paul, thanks a lot. Verse 10. For this reason and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. To me this is, okay, there's the deference difference. There's the equal standing before God. Here this is about glory. The Jewish custom was that men had their head covered. They'd been doing that since Exodus 34. You might remember the tent of meeting where Moses would go in and meet with God in the tent. And, and the Shekinah glory, because he was actually in this very powerful manifest presence of God, his face glowed. That's why a lot of ancient art shows these halos around, around biblical people. Because the reality was that the Shekinah glory was a real thing, that, that the, the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, in other words, the real, if you like, touch it, the Bible says that he lives in unapproachable light. And, and for me, I kind of think if I was actually in the presence of God, I'd have a heart attack, I wouldn't be able to handle it and I'd die. That, that's what would happen. But to be in the presence of God, and there have been even recent day accounts of these kinds of things in the last few years where people have been, that, that God or the Lord has appeared to them so powerfully, they take onto their countenance a reflective glow, a reflective glow of the divine. Now Moses used to cover this when he would come out of the tent. But when he was in the presence of the Lord, he would take the veil off. 
But the custom was, within Jewish custom, was to continue to wear, as men, to wear a veil. Now, in Greek custom, you didn't have your head covered. You didn't have your head covered if you were Greek. So there was a difference in custom. And theologically, in a sense, the veil that separated us from God was, was torn um, at the cross. There was no longer a need for a covering in the presence of God in that sense. It is clear here that women prayed and prophesied in worship service, services. The issue was how appropriate was their appearance. Some suggest it was even more about loose flowing hair or braided hair. Uh, it's, it's so pleasing to see Naomi has done away with the braids. Uh, I feel that you're much more spiritual now, sister. Um, but mm, it's the deference difference. Out of respect for, for him and honouring God's principle of order, she should continue to cover her head while praying or prophesying in church. The undergirding principle, we each demonstrate respect for God-given leaders. When I was a kid growing up in our church, it was customary for the ladies to wear a hat and they typically also wore wore gloves. Um, Some of us within our circle... Uh, and some of the young girls particularly took to wearing a lace veil. They felt that that was a more appropriate way of showing deference, if you like, uh, in, in the house. Um, obviously, wearing a hat of the style of the 60s was not going to cover the glory of her hair and, and that wasn't the intent, you, you, you know. Um, that was customary. Back in the earlier days, see, men used to wear hats but we wouldn't wear them in church or inside. It was considered inappropriate. And so uh, down through the, the, the whole of the 20th century, up until about the 60s, the hats started to fall off men's heads. You know, they weren't wearing them anymore. Can we, can we see where we're going with custom? Custom in society. It was customary when you went to, to anything uh, in church we would dress up in our Sunday best. We called it Sunday best. And we would wear our hats and our gloves. Um, and we would dress well. Nowadays it's customary for us to dress down for church to be casual and comfortable. It's a different time. It's a different era. We have to be able to discern the difference between what God is, is, is directing us as a people for all of time and, but firstly, we need to filter it through the context of the day and understand that there are some things there. So Paul simply said, look at it as a mark of respect, uh, keep women folk, as you prophesy and pray within the church, keep your head covered. Um, to, to do that is, is a customary way to acknowledge um, leadership within the church. That's how we do it and this is, this is what we do. I hope in my speed I'm, you know, not leaving you with a false idea of what I'm trying to communicate. Let's read on. This this next bit is fairly important. It's about interdependence. We're reading from verse 11. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? 
but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. True liberty is expressed in interdependence. We talk about dependency, we talk about codependent relationships where we're depending on others in an unhealthy way. We try with folks that are dependents, you know, our children are our dependents, they depend on us. We have a high level of dependency in the welfare social structure of our communities. There are a lot of folks that need help from us, they are dependent upon government handouts. We, we are dependent over a whole lot of things. We may not be functioning really well physically, so we are dependent on others to help us to function well. Dependency, the goal is to bring people through to inter- independence where they can live independently. We talk about that they, don't, they can live in their own home, they can do for themselves, they can earn a wage themselves. That's independence. And far too many people stop at that point. The goal for them is to live independent, to be unbeholden to anybody. And that falls short of God's plan, which is for us to live interdependently. That's the most powerful way we can express life in community, in communion with each other, being able to give to each other. That's interdependence. And this is what Paul is getting at here. Neither man nor woman can be independent of God. We're just not created like that. We're not designed to be independent of God. We are dependent on him primarily because we were created to be in vital union with him. Galatians 3.28 There is now no distinction, neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is not male and female, for you are all one in Christ. We are, so clearly we need to understand we, as male or female, if we're talking about that this morning, apart from different races, different nationalities, um, different situations in life, some have lots of discretionary finance, others don't. Our church should be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-situational. We come from all kinds of backgrounds, all lives, but we are monoculture. We've talked about this before. We are Christ culture. That's the central thing. There is no, you are all one in Christ. So we are equal before Christ. We are equal in our standing in Christ. There is no lesser or lower, particularly by gender. And we are also accountable to each other. This idea of being mutually submitted, Ephesians 5.21, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So... When I, when I defer to my lady, I'm, I'm doing that as a way that I can serve Christ. When she defers to me and says, says uh, Dave, you are the head of the household, you are the head of us, we are in equal standing, there's only one steering wheel on the car, when it comes down to it, you have the final decision. And I'm trusting you to make the final decision in a godly and submitted way to Christ. And 
in an environment where I'm accountable to her for how I live out that responsibility. Cultural distinctions between men and women should be preserved in worship is effectively what... um, Yeah, I think the battery's gone flat. It was showing the red light, Steve. Sorry about that. So effectively, I guess, Paul was saying this. Now, I want to jump to the end of the, the, the passage. The cultural distinctions, Paul was basically saying, observe the cultural distinctions in worship. And right at the very end, he says of this chapter, and when I come, I will give further directions. So let's draw a line under this right now and we'll close in prayer. But I wonder if that's a question that people would, wouldn't mind finding out or pursuing if you're a bit of a, have an interest in that. What do you think Paul might have meant by that? I will give further directions when I come and see you. Might have to go into the second letter of Corinthians, might have to go into Acts and see what happens. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, as we make our journey through 1 Corinthians, we know there's more to say on this and and we get to chapter 14 soon enough. Uh, However, right now we ask that you would inspire our thinking, that uh, you would lead us through your Holy Spirit to discern your truth, to test the spirits, to weigh um, your word in balance and to come to uh, a position that gives us life, that doesn't shut us down, We take on the bindings of faith in Christ willingly, Lord, and we thank you that you've set frameworks for us and boundaries for us, but we also know that you have intended that our life uh, in ministry shall be life-giving and not life-draining. And so we ask for understanding as we journey forward in your purpose. Hear our prayer, Lord, and, and journey with us through this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for indulging me a little bit extra on this.